great to be here. We love coming to this church. We've been uh, once or twice before. We love Bex and Mike. So thank you very much indeed. <clears throat> I want to speak this evening on this fantastic greeting that we find in 1 Peter chapter 1 and the second verse, which says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Grace and peace, two wonderful gifts for the journey of discipleship and following Jesus that you've been looking at. Now, letters written by friends to each other in the Greek language in the first century conformed to a regular pattern. So they started off uh, with a statement of who was writing the letter. So we have I, Peter. Then secondly, who the letter was written to. Written to and then uh, the greeting comes. And we see this in most of the epistles. And Paul would often write, uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, I am no Greek scholar, but I am informed that the way this greeting was written, uh, when Paul wrote it, it was written as a, as a prayer or a wish. May grace and peace be with you. But when Peter writes it, he's writing it as a declaration. So he's saying over each of us, grace and peace be ours in abundance. And I want to look at what those two very familiar words look like for us. So firstly, grace. Well, we see a picture of grace right at the beginning of the New Testament, first page, first verse, where we have the genealogy of Jesus, those verses rarely read and which we certainly hope we'll never have to read at the Christmas carol service. And as you will know, uh, that in Jewish culture, men's, uh, women's names were never mentioned in a genealogy. Only the men got listed. But in this genealogy, of course, there are the names of five women. Let's look at them. There's Tamar. Her husband died, and so she posed as a prostitute in order to have a child. There's Rahab, always known as Rahab the harlot, the prostitute. Actually, I love this woman. In fact, all these women have the most wonderful stories of restoration, of how God came into their situations and transformed them wonderfully. But I haven't time to go into all their stories. Then there's Ruth. She was a Moabite, and they were longtime enemies of Israel, utterly despised as a race. Then there's Bathsheba, who committed adultery, some would say was raped by David and had a child. And then there's Mary, who had a birth out of wedlock. The whole genealogy in that culture was littered with scandal. This was utterly scandalous, full of failure and shame. And you can imagine the scribe who would have been writing this down for Matthew was saying, hey, what are you doing? Stop. Don't bring all these skeletons out of the cupboard. Don't shame us. But Matthew, who by now is older and wiser, I think smiled because he knew that this was precisely what God wanted us to know. That Jesus came to restore, to heal our brokenness. That on the cross, 
he became the public scandal, the disgrace, in order that we might be restored, that we wouldn't have to carry shame, that we would know a restoration to our full beauty. Some of you may know of the Kintsugi pottery. I think a picture is going to come up. Um, and uh, there, there's some beautiful um, uh, models of this in the Ashmolean Museum in Oxford. But the Kintsugi was a Japanese art form of restoring and repairing broken pottery by putting these strands and threads of gold so that it was restored to something of greater worth and greater beauty. It was a long, painstaking process. But the outcome was that these broken pieces of pottery were of greater worth and value. And I think that's a beautiful picture of God's restoring of us. But I think often we know in our heads that this is true. But what happens when we've just had a row in our marriage? What happens when a relationship goes sour? What happens when we lose it with the kids? What happens when we succumb to old habits of excess drinking, pornography, jealousy, anger? So often we find ourselves, when this happens, that we either cover it all up and just say, it's fine, push it under the carpet, everything's all right, I'm fine. Or we descend into despair and defeat and shame. And the Bible calls this the hardening of our hearts keeping everyone in, keeping everyone out. And why is this harmful? Because we then become trapped inside with our fears, with the self-loathing, with the darkness inside us. We become slaves to accusation and condemnation and fear. And I think this is why we read in the Bible this hugely important verse, above all else, guard your heart because it will amount to everything you are and everything you do. We have many wonderful teachings in the Bible, but when we read above all, all else, we know we're being told something really important. Above all else, guard our hearts. Because our hearts can either be a wellspring of life and flourishing or a place of defeat and darkness and despair. Let me tell you a story about myself. That uh, This was a few years ago now. We have three sons, and our boys at this stage are quite little. John was leading a church in High Wycombe. We had a small vicarage uh, that uh, um, felt very small with three boys and their footballs, which, of course, Mike and Bex know all about. 
Uh, and we were having a large extension down to the church. The church was growing. And the field between our house and uh, the, the church uh, had become a building site where they were extending. Our garden was often a tip for rubbish that came over it. And, and I grew increasingly resentful. At the same time, the church was growing. That was exciting. God was doing great things. But John was out a great deal. And I was at home with the children. And I could feel that resentment growing inside me. I remember feeling jealous of friends who had lovely houses and beautiful gardens for their children to play. Now, I'm sure that if people met me and said how exciting it is, there'd have been a smile on my face and I would have said yes. But inside, there was a darkness and a defeat and a resentment growing inside. And I remember one day dropping the children off at school. And as I came back, saying to God, I don't like the way I am. I don't like feeling this inner resentment inside me. And I remember just sensing the whisper of God, not audibly, but within me. And he said, and when God speaks, it has the ring of truth and kindness. And God said, the thing that is hurting you most is your grumbling spirit. And at that moment, I remembered that what kept the children of Israel out of the promised land for 40 years was their grumbling. And I thought, wow, God takes it that seriously. And I remember uh, going to visit a friend who was a pastor uh, lived uh, not far away, and I said, I just want to confess. Sometimes I think it's helpful to go uh, to someone else so you know you've done it. And I just said, I want to confess this resentment, this envy and jealousy. I remember he prayed, asking God's forgiveness. And as I walked out of uh, their house, there was a, a garden bed that had been freshly dug, ready for new plants to go into it. And I remember thinking, that's my heart. It had been full of stuff that was strangling the life out of me. And in my confession, and as I brought it before God, my heart was now like that empty bed, ready for me to sow the seeds of life. You see, this is what grace is. Grace enables us to come as quickly as we choose and say to God, I'm in a mess. I'm feeling all kinds of, of stuff that uh, is not blessing me. And I want your forgiveness. I want your healing. And I want your restoring. I don't know whether any of you here are Leonard Cohen fans, as I am, but some of you will know uh, one of his familiar songs, Let the Bells Ring, Let the Bells Ring, Forget Your Perfect Offering, The Need to Be Perfect. There's a crack in everything, and that is how the light gets in. And you know, it's when we come with our rubbish and our brokenness and all the kinds of things that so quickly can reside in our hearts and say, Lord, I want to be healed. I want to be forgiven. I want your help. Then we find the arms of Jesus outstretched saying to, to us, my grace is sufficient 
because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And I can tell you that there have been many times in our marriage when John and I have run out of love, run out of kindness. I think it happens in most marriages. And we can either choose to withdraw and nurse our grievances, or we can choose to say, this is where we are. We, we need your help. And there have been times when we've got down on our knees together, in our weakness, in our helplessness, in our poverty, and we said, God, we need your help. We need your grace. And that is when the light comes into the darkness. Is this not good news? Is this not what everyone wants to hear? That we don't have to carry shame and we don't have to carry despair and we don't have to carry failure and all the other things that is part of our fallen humanity. Because on the cross, Jesus said, I've done it all and now you can step into my grace every time you want and every time you need. This has to be the best news. And you know, I think one of the things that robs us of more quickly coming to find God's grace is our self-sufficiency, highly prized in our culture. I'm all right. I can cope. I can do it my way. Jesus, by contrast, when he was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, said, you are blessed when you know your need of God. The kingdom of heaven belongs to these. You're blessed when you own and acknowledge and recognize the struggle, the rubbish, the pain that's going on and say, I need help and all of heaven's resources are available to us. And I just want to say that many of us will be in situations that, that look irredeemable situations, family situations, work situations that just haven't gone as we'd hope. And I would say, as we bring these to God and we entrust them to his care, let him over time work out the wonderful ways in which he will restore and redeem these situations. This has been our experience. Um, it will continue to be my experience as I struggle with different things, but equally learn quickly to entrust them to God's care and help for him to work out his way. So Peter writes, grace be yours in abundance. And he knew a thing or two about grace, didn't he? Because uh, John was saying this morning, uh, he was often in trouble for his big mouth, his arrogance, um, and of course, his, his ultimate failure of denial. But that wasn't the end of Peter, because he rose up and God entrusted him with the important job of pastoring and building the church. And I believe that Peter would say to us in God's name, stand tall in God's grace. Don't cower in defeat and shame. Don't carry helplessness, but stand tall in God's grace.
And then secondly, there's peace. And I love it that God is so understanding that we're told that 365 times in the Bible there are references to not being afraid. So this is something God really wants us to know. We don't need to be afraid. And Jesus so often in his encounters with people would say uh, to them, peace, go in peace. Um, and, uh, you know, that was what he, he was often wanting uh, to, to leave people with. And all of us have images of peace, don't we? We might have an image of um, calm waters and the sun uh, glinting on the waters, a beautiful sunset. It might be a code word for not liking confrontation, peace at all cost. But actually the word peace uh, in the Bible, is much bigger than that. It's not merely the absence of noise and stress. It's that wonderful word, shalom, which actually means wholeness, fullness, everything that God intended for us to have, joy, forgiveness, blessing, favor. This is what we're being offered, every one of us, God's favor for all of us. God's blessing on all of us. But the question is, how do we receive it? And the first thing I'd want to say is that it is a gift. The first word that the disciples uh, heard Jesus say after his death and resurrection, remember they were huddled together in the upper room terrified, bemused, confused. They were running scared in case they were the next uh, to, to, to be in trouble. And Jesus appears to them, and the first thing he says is, peace be unto you. Now, our culture talks a lot about finding the inner calm and searching for the peace within. And I want to say, this is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about an impartation of his own peace. He says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. It's my peace. The same peace that stilled the storm, he says, I'm giving that to you. But how do we find it when our imagination is running out of control? And I speak of one with a very vivid imagination. And if someone's late, I have very quickly seen the ambulance, the police knock at the door. I know what that's like. So how do we find peace when we're facing exams, when we're waiting for a medical diagnosis, when we're in financial difficulty, all the different scenarios that uh, cause us anxiety? And I think as well as remembering that it's a gift, we have to be very intentional about receiving it. And we're back to the state of our hearts. Because it's in our hearts that our beliefs and our emotions and also our fears reside. And these, of course, affect our thinking and imagination. But it's also true that the heart is the place where we can plant truths that will help keep us steady in the storm and anxious times. Guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. And I heard somebody say 
uh, how important it is uh, to, to, uh, to, to find peace, to meditate on God's word. And I know that word meditate can sound a little bit scary, but uh, as this person said, if you know how to worry, then you know how to meditate. Worry is to let an anxious thought go round and round your head, making you feel worse and worse. And to meditate is to let a verse of scripture go round and round your head and begin to settle truth and to settle peace. I've tried it. We have to be determined. We have to keep at it. But it does work. I uh, have a, a, a niece who... Um, when she was 18, just before she was going off to university, her mother died very, very suddenly and unexpectedly. And Hannah went up to university full of fear and grief and bewilderment and loss. And I went up um, towards the end of her first term to stay with her. And I slept in her bed. She kindly slept on the sofa. And by her bed, written up, it said, Put all your cares unto God. He cares for you. And she said, those are the last words I read at night, and they're the first words that I read in the morning. And she said, that is what has kept me steady during this really difficult time in which there was lots of grief and um, all that goes with that. But nevertheless, the truth of God began to permeate and settle within her. Now, I think I'd have to say that receiving God's peace does not get easier as you get older. I'd like to think it did. I don't think it does. There seem to be more things to be anxious about. But nevertheless, we need to take this seriously, that this, the peace of God is a gift. And we need to be intentional about receiving it by letting the verses of Scripture permeate deep within us so that we become steady in the times of storms. Now, you might wonder why I chose the reading that we had read to us. What has this got to do with peace, grace and peace? But I love this story that Bex read to us. It's the story of a slave girl who was sold into slavery because she had the gift of fortune telling. And these men were making good money from this gift she had. She was a woman most likely uh, full of shame, of terror. This is not the kind of life she wanted. She was full of her own fears and inner demons and torment. And day after day, she was brought out onto the streets while these men would say, come and have your fortune told by this beautiful woman. And each night she went back to huddle in fear and darkness. And one day, she's out on the street, as usual, when two men walk along uh, towards her. Must have happened many times before. But something in her spirit recognized there was something in these men she wanted. And she called out in a loud voice, these men are slaves of the Most High God. And essentially, I want what they've got. 
And Peter, we know, uh, not Peter, Paul, said, in the name of Jesus, be free. I love what happens next, because obviously the, these, uh, the owners of the slave were furious. They were losing the, their livelihood. Peter and uh, Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. But such was their inner freedom. They sang songs and were released from prison singing hymns. Is that not freedom? And you see, I believe that the more we pursue these gifts of grace and peace, we will carry that freedom within us that people are desperate to find. I want to grow in freedom. I don't want to be tangled into despair and resentment and envy. I want to grow in the freedom of God's joy and confidence, trusting him to fulfill all his purposes for me. That's the kind of freedom that's so attractive. And I believe the more we pursue God's grace and peace, the more we carry this freedom and others will want it. Just to close, John and I uh, often get called on to do grandparent duty. And we were in London uh, a little while ago looking after uh, our three of our grandchildren living in King's Cross. And uh, we, in the morning, we get the children to school and we remember their swimming kit and their football kit and their snacks. And, you know, well, by the time we've, we've got them to school on time with all they need, we're ready for a coffee. And so we go to this little uh, coffee shop uh, just uh, up the road and we treat ourselves to an almond croissant because we feel we've deserved it having been up since 6.30, which I know many of you do all the time, but we're retired. <laughs> and um, we, we were sitting having our coffee and a croissant and uh, John saw this couple admiring their newborn baby. And John leaned over and said to them, could I pray for your new baby? Now, sometimes people are quite protective of their new babies. They didn't know us. And, and he said, I'd be delighted. So John prayed for this baby, and, uh, and off we went. The next day, we, we completed the school run, and all had gone well. We were in this coffee shop. It was my turn to pay. So I went to get the coffee and the croissants, and the lady said to me, are you the couple who prayed for the baby? She said, Everyone was talking about it. I just want to say, people want what we've got. Let's carry this freedom. We're not slaves. We're free in God's grace and peace. Let's carry it and let's give it away. And I believe that God would want to say over you beloved people here at St. Saviour's, grace and peace will be yours in abundance. Take hold of it. Walk tall in God's presence and grow in freedom and give it away. Let's just have a moment of quiet.
The Spirit of God has been here all evening, speaking in different ways to us, revealing different things. But I believe that God would love uh, to impart peace and grace. And if you feel this is something you'd like uh, to, to receive prayer for areas where you've been struggling, uh, where you have felt situations that seemingly are beyond your control. You'd love to entrust them to God's redemption, restoring and healing, where you'd love to receive the peace of God into different situations.